Let's dive into God's Word together again today. We're going to be in James chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 13 through 18 today, and we're going to be talking about wisdom. As James asked the question today, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he's going to talk to us about wisdom. Um, Wisdom is a topic that throughout the Bible we keep coming in contact with, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. You know, last week we talked about the need to use wisdom with our words. James, at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 3, talks about the tongue, talks about the importance of our speech and our words, and and then he goes into wisdom because we need wisdom with our words. But that always brings up the question, what what wisdom looks like? What is wisdom? How do I know if I'm being wise? And, you know, the truth is nobody thinks they're foolish. Nobody thinks they make foolish or are making a foolish decision when they're making one usually, uh, especially fools. <laughs> you know, the Bible says in Proverbs twelve fifteen, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Uh, have you ever noticed the truth of that lived out in, uh, in your life and in, the, in, in those around you? Have you noticed that some of the most foolish people you've encountered have been the most arrogant? right? Um, The kind of folks that will stand in a burning building and swear that the building's not on fire just to keep from admitting that they're wrong, right? Have you noticed in your own life some of the most foolish decisions that you've made were made with a sense of arrogance? Those things tend to go together. Um, Foolish people don't think they're foolish. They think they're wise. They think, yeah, it'll be different for me, or or, you don't really know me. I I can handle this. I I know what I'm doing. I won't let that happen. Just it's a sense of arrogancy that many times uh, that, that leads to unwise decisions that we've even made in our own lives. And so pride and arrogance and foolishness tend to go hand to hand, hand in hand. Um, And we see here in this passage we're going to read today that um, wisdom tends to be linked with humility. And so today James is going to teach us about wisdom. And and, and he's going to teach us that there's a false wisdom and that there is a, um, a true wisdom. And just foolish people and, and, and people making foolish decisions many times, it's many times it's, it's rooted in this, in this false wisdom they're being led by, uh, proclaiming to be wise, but they're in fact, they're, they're, they're not being wise in that moment. Romans one twenty two says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So it's possible to, to proclaim we're wise, but to do foolish things or to be foolish people. There's a false wisdom that is rooted in a sinful foolishness. And there's a true wisdom that's rooted in knowing God and loving God and obeying God. And so listen to what James says. James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James asks, who is wise and understanding among you, right? Good question. Before you eagerly raise your hand to say, well, I'm wise, or I think I'm wise, or I think I'm making wise decisions, James quickly tells us how to know if we're wise or not. It's by your good conduct. Show it, right? Show it with your works. It can be seen. It's obvious, in other words. It's not just something that we claim. James is concerned that people will boast that they have wisdom when in fact they do not and it will be evidenced by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, he says, in their lives. That's what's going on here in the context he writes. And they're 
They're being false to the truth, he says. They don't have true wisdom. They have this false wisdom. But they're, they're boasting that they're wise when, in fact, the fact that their lives are filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition proves that they're not. So here's our bottom line today. Here's the bottom line. True and false wisdom are known by their fruits. There's a true wisdom and there's a false wisdom, and both are known by their fruits. There's a true and false wisdom known by their fruits. So let's walk through this together. Number one, understand this. There is a false wisdom that must be avoided. There's a false wisdom that must be avoided. So let's go, let's ask some questions of these wisdoms as we walk through it, the false wisdom and the true wisdom. First question here, where, where does this false wisdom come from? James says in verse 15 that it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Pretty strong words there from James. It's like increasingly strong as he goes, right? And the term earthly here conveys that it's of this world right, as opposed to being of heaven, the wisdom from above. He says it's of this world. There's a wisdom that is of this world, concerned only with the things of this world, rooted in the here and now. It prioritizes the things of this world over the things of the kingdom of God. It doesn't pray, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, it might pray it, but it doesn't mean it. It doesn't seek it. It doesn't pursue it. It's earthly. And then there's the term unspiritual, which conveys the idea of natural or pertaining to the fallen and broken world. You, you might say it's of the flesh, uh, carnal. It's of uh, unredeemed nature. It was, it's void of being led by the Holy Spirit. It, it's man's more natural way of thinking apart from God's saving grace. So it's earthly. It's, it's unspiritual. And then he calls it demonic. And so what does that mean? Well, it, it means what it, it sounds like it means. It's of demons. It's evil. Listen, this isn't an innocent sort of thing. It's destructive. It's the sort of thing that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. It's, it's not simply clumsy. It's carnal. It's evil. Douglas Moo writes this. He says, In some, this false wisdom which does not lead to good works and humility is characterized by the world, the flesh, and the devil. You, you might remember that over in 1 John. John writes talking about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And James here talks about this wisdom that is earthly and spiritual and demonic. In, in a lot of ways, these things are very similar here. This idea of earthly and spiritual and demonic in the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, these are the, the, the things that we battle in this life, um, in, in, this, in this world. In fact, in Matthew 16, you can kind of see this played out in a conversation between Peter and Jesus. Um, uh, after hearing that Jesus was going to need to go to the cross to die on a cross for our sins and that he would be um, crucified there and die and then he would be raised from the dead, Peter was having none of it. I mean, he was having none of it. Listen to what he says in verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 16. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, remember, he's talking to Jesus. This is after Jesus tells him he's going to go die for him, right, and be raised from the dead. Peter rebukes Jesus. Imagine taking Jesus aside and rebuking Jesus. And this is what he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. So in Peter's mind, he's thinking, I can't let this happen. I love you, Lord. You're, you're my boss. You're my Lord. You're my king. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the chosen one of God. The last thing that's going to happen, I, I won't let this happen. You're crucified? No way. He's objecting to it. And from a sheer human perspective, we look at this and we kind of we we go, okay, I, I see where he's coming from here, right? From the, from the human mindset. But listen to how Jesus rebukes him. He turns to him and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And that... I, that's pretty strong, right? I mean, this is Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so, see, Peter was operating here in this false wisdom. 
It seemed right to him, right? You might look at it and go, well, I see why he wouldn't want Jesus to go to the cross. Well, it's actually, Jesus, this was God's plan. This was God's will. And, and you see the demonic origin here. Get behind me, Satan. You see it's earthly and unspiritual. He's not thinking on the things of God, Jesus says, but on the things of, on the things of man. He's out of step with God's will and God's purposes. And so here's the scary thing about this kind of wisdom that can creep into our lives. It gets rooted in the heart. It gets rooted in the heart. It flows from that. In in verse 14, James talks about the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition being in our hearts. We we need to understand how we live and the choices we make and the decisions we make all flow from the heart. Just like we said our words last week, flow from the heart. Outside of Christ, we'll operate in this false wisdom because our hearts are unconverted. And as believers, we can be lured into false wisdom just like Peter was. Just like Peter was. So what what does this false wisdom look like? Well, James describes it as having bitter jealousy and selfish ambition associated with it twice. That's the realm that it's operating here. It's selfish. It's self-oriented. It's self-centered. It's not godly. It's not God-centered. It's selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. The term bitter jealousy carries the idea of a sort of resentful longing for what belongs to someone else. And the term selfish ambition carries the idea of a self-centered pursuit of things like success and goals in life. But it's it's all about me, right? The point is this person's concerns are very much for themselves, what they can get. They aren't concerned with others. In fact, it competes with others in a spirit of jealousy. It resents what others others have that that, that they can't have. It, It grows bitter about it even. So when you can't be happy when others have what you don't, and when you manipulate the system to benefit you, not thinking about what that does to others, that's a false demonic wisdom, James would say. That's what that's rooted in. And so that's what it looks like. It's this selfishness and this jealousy and very much where the world revolves around you. Where does it lead? Where is it going to take us? James says it leads to disorder and every vile practice. He says where there's jealousy and selfish ambition exists, where these exist, there will always be disorder and every vile practice. That, that's the fruit. That's the fruit. We said they're known by their fruits, right? And false wisdom is known by its fruit. Its fruit is disorder and every vile practice. And remember, James is writing this to churches, to churches. And we can imagine how this might play out in a church atmosphere. People begin to pursue what they want, what's best for their personal interest. Their, their concern isn't, well, what does the Bible say? Or what glorifies God? Or what's best for gospel ministry? Instead, it's what do I like? What do I want? What's going to please me? What's going to further my personal agenda? That is selfish ambition. And this is going to lead, James says, to disorder. It's going to promote chaos. Why? Because it's every man for themselves, right? Every man for themselves. It's going to promote absolute chaos and absolute disorder. Um, And that, you know, and the... The church is supposed to function like a body. Uh, we're, we're many members, but a single unit. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, we're one body made up of many parts or many members. And so he, he's kind of like illustrating the unity of the church and the oneness of the church, but yet the, the, the diverseness of it with the idea of the human body. You have one human body, but you've got a lot of parts, right? You've got arms and legs and toes and feet and noses and ears and all these, uh, all these parts that make up this body and they all have different roles and different places and some are more visible than others and all these sort of things and so imagine for a moment just for a moment what would happen if your physical body began to compete with itself like if your if your foot or your hand or your knee could be selfish if that was possible a possibility if your if your heel could think and act 
and think, you know what? I'm so tired of the nose having that prominent place right there on the face. I'm so, and it began to, it would create quite the chaos there with your body, right? If those things, you say, well, that's kind of a silly illustration. Well, that's the point, right? Right, it's silly, but that's the point. It's a picture of chaos, a picture of disorder. Uh, our bodies operate a certain way um, because the parts function together and everything does its role. And, and, and ultimately, it, it's, it's looking out for the well-being of the body. But, but we have to be careful here. See, because people who live this way, who operate in the realm of the selfish ambition and jealousy that James talks about, they will bring disorder and they'll bring vile practices wherever they go. And they can bring it into the church body. They can bring it into their families. They can bring it into their workplaces. They bring it into society. They bring it onto social media it, because it flows from the heart and it follows them and they operate in it. And if we, listen, if we operate in it, it'll follow us and we'll bring it into to our own lives. But there's a better way. James teaches us there's a better way. The second thing we need to see here, number two, there's a true wisdom to be pursued and practiced. So there's that false wisdom. We don't, we don't want that, right? We want to put that off. But there's a true wisdom to be pursued and practiced. Well, where does it come from? Well, James tells us it comes from God. He calls it wisdom from above, right? True wisdom is a gift from God, not something we just muster up on our own. Uh, we need to ask for it, James says in chapter 1. God gives it as a gift. It begins with the fear of God, we find out in Proverbs. And Proverbs 2, 6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It's the Lord who gives wisdom. That's why James says, hey, if you're in a trial and you lack wisdom, ask God and he'll give it. So it comes from God. It comes from above. So it, it's, it's not earthly, it's heavenly. What does it look like? Well, in verse 13, James says it works in the meek, it, you produce, it produces works in the meekness of wisdom. He says, let, you should show your wisdom with, with works in the meekness of wisdom. So meekness here is humility and gentleness. It can, it can mean either of those, really. It's, it's not selfish and bitter. It's humble and gentle. All right? It's, like the, it's the opposite, really, of what we see from this false wisdom. And see, so you, you can see it played out. It does good works. It's associated with meekness and it's associated with good works. It engages in obeying God, loving God, loving people. It serves others. And it does so with humility and gentleness or meekness. Uh, wisdom doesn't run over people, but it's not lazy either and aloof. It engages and it, and it shows itself, but not in a way that is selfish, not in a way that's bullish. Think about Jesus, right? Jesus was meek, the Bible tells us. He, he lived on this earth boldly, right? Jesus was bold. He didn't shrink from the challenges set before him and, and from the, the purpose that God sent him to fulfill. He confronted evil. He spoke truth with boldness. He engaged in helping the sick and the hurting. He went to the cross, right? Defeated sin, death, and hell. And in the midst of all that, the Bible calls him meek. And we're to be like Jesus. We're to be like Jesus as Christ followers. And so godly wisdom is not going to prevent boldness, but it will prevent you from being a bully, right? It won't prevent action, but it will prevent selfishness. It won't prevent truth-telling, but it will prevent us from being arrogant jerks in the way we share the truth. It's what it looks like. It works itself out with a meekness, with a humility about it. But that's not all. Look at verse 17. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. He's describing in great detail what this wisdom is like, what it looks like. The word pure there, it means blameless. It's godly. It's concerned with holiness, right? It's first pure. 
It's peaceable. It's peace-loving. It loves peace. It hates dissension and disorder and quarrels and promotes peace. I'm telling you, you want to know somebody that's foolish? People that like to just stir stuff up. And to keep stuff stirred up, that just love to cause dissension, that loves to cause quarreling. One thing they're lacking, I can promise you, according to the Bible, is wisdom. Because wisdom from above is peaceable, it's peace-loving. It's gentle, it's kind, it's tolerant, it's forbearing is what that word means. It's, it's open to reason, the ESV says here. The word means, can mean obedient or easily persuaded. Think about it like this. They are ready to obey God and the authority that he has designed. And at the same time, they can be persuaded when wrong. It's not, they're not like, hey, I've always got to be right. They, they, they can be convinced. They're not so stubborn. We're walking in wisdom. We're not so stubborn that we can't admit when we're wrong and that we can't be open to the fact that we might be wrong. Not that we would ever compromise on God's truth, but just as we walk through these areas of life, it's full of mercy and good fruits. That it's full of mercy, it's full of um, compassion and, and good fruits or good works. This wisdom will serve others, in other words. It'll help people. It will love God. It will love neighbor. It's impartial and sincere, he says. It doesn't show the partiality that's already been condemned in chapter 2 that we looked at a few weeks ago. It's not seeking to divide. It's sincere and genuine. It's without hypocrisy. As one commentator points out, it's not double-minded, as James has already condemned double-mindedness uh, in, this, in this book. See, this is what Christian wisdom, godly wisdom, true wisdom, this is what it looks like. This is the wisdom that should lead our churches, that should characterize our congregation, that should be present in our families, um, that should be leading us in the decisions we make in our lives. This is real wisdom. Where does it lead? Look at verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, this phrase is difficult in the Greek. Ultimately, James is saying one of two things. He's either talking about the, the fruit here when he says harvest of righteousness. It's either the fruit that springs from righteousness or he's describing the, the fruit as righteousness. Righteousness is the fruit. But notice who's doing the sowing. Those who make peace. And they do this sowing in peace. Notice in verse 17, if you go back a verse, the characteristic of peace and the characteristic of being open to reason when he describes this wisdom. Uh, notice uh, when you look at false wisdom in this text the, the, the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition where does it lead? to disorder do you see, see peace and a lack of peace these are major themes in the section do you catch that? Uh, the big thing to see here I think is that wisdom leads to peacemaking and that the wise are peacemakers uh, the, the, the false wisdom leads to this disorder and chaos we'll get over to chapter 4 uh, and we'll see that it, it quarreling and fights but, but true wisdom, it, 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 it leads to a, a peacemaking and a peacefulness. It loves peace, and, 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 and that's where it leads. Um, the wisdom of this world, the kind rooted in the self and selfishness, it'll lead to disorder. But believers who are walking with Jesus, who are grounded in godly wisdom, gifted by God's Spirit, we promote peace. Uh, we make peace, and we sow a harvest of righteousness and peace. And good and godly things, in other words, come from this wisdom. So you've got the, the false wisdom to be avoided, the true wisdom to be practiced and pursued. So, so what's our response to this? How, how do we live in light of this? Let me give you three quick things. Number one, let's put off self-centered living. Uh, let's make a habit of putting off self-centered living. We are all capable of living our lives motivated by selfishness. It's human nature. Uh, selfish ambition comes natural to sinners like us. Uh, but in Christ, we are being transformed. 
We're being transformed. We have the Holy Spirit now. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We die to self and we live to Christ, but our flesh, our sinful tendencies can be pulled and we can be pulled right back towards this false wisdom. So ask yourself, because it's everywhere in our culture. So ask yourself, are there ways in my life I'm living a self-centered life right now? Where I'm letting my, my world revolve around me and my desires and my wants as opposed to God and his will? Does the way I treat my family and my coworkers and my fellow church members, does it, does it shout that I love God and that I love people or that I'm all about myself? We need to put off self-centered living. If you don't know Christ today, you need to understand this is where wisdom begins. Turning from sin, turning from ruling yourself, being your own God, and, and recognizing the authority of Christ and submitting to him and turning to him and repenting of sin and trusting Jesus and the good news that he lived the life you can't live and he died in your place and that he rose again. When we trust Christ, the gospel, the good news of Jesus frees us to live life according to God's design. Frees us to put off self-centered living and to, and to, and to have a Christ-centered life. So let's put off self-centered living. Number two, let's pursue wisdom from above. Let's pursue the wisdom from above. James 1.5, he says, if you like wisdom, he says you should ask God back in chapter 1. So we need to pursue, we need to seek, we need to ask, we need to go after wisdom from God. Uh, and that begins, Proverbs tells us, with the fear of God, meaning the deep respect and awe of God that, that would lead you to orient your life around God, around obeying Him and pursuing His will. That's where pursuing wisdom begins, a life oriented around God. Uh, a li- and we've got to, it's something we have to pursue constantly. We have to pursue constantly. We have to pursue this wisdom. Imagine this single guy. He likes this single girl, and he thinks, you know, she's awesome. I'd love to get to know her better. She seems like, in fact, the kind of girl I might would want to marry one day, and, and he, would just, he would love to get to know her better. And so day after day goes by, and he has these nice, good intentions in his heart, but, but he never pursues a deeper friendship with her he, he never asks her out and time and time and time goes by and well how's that going to work itself out well he may get to be in the wedding but he's not going to be the groom you know what i'm saying at some point time's going to pass him by at some point he has to decide am i going to pursue her or not am i going to make my good intentions known or not and if we want to be wise We've got to be constantly pursuing it, having, having more than, than good intentions. Oh, I want to be wise. Well, we need to pursue wisdom, orient our life around the fear of God and, and seeking of wisdom, asking for it as we position ourselves to obey God. So pursue wisdom from above. And, and thirdly, practice that wise living. Put it into practice. In verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom must be lived out. It must be put into action. Our good conduct proves our wisdom wisdom affects real life choices in other words it affects how we treat people it it affects the things we do and the things we don't do it affects our character it's something people can see us practice and they can see us mature in it they can see us grow in it we can't just hey i'm gonna pursue this i'm gonna pray for this I'm going to study the Bible, and I'm going and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask. Reason. We've got to practice it. We've got to make choices that are in line with this. What good is it if it doesn't affect how we live, right? Uh, wisdom is not useless knowledge. No, it's bringing the true knowledge to bear on your life. Wisdom is more than knowing; it's living it out. So we all know, for instance, use an example that social distancing is helpful with this virus that, that we've been dealing with the last several months. So when we gather on Sundays, for instance, here at North Park, we, we have social distance seating that we practice, right? 
We've got, you could, you could, I could, if we could take the camera, we could show you for those that haven't been here. We've got social distance seatings. But what if we studied all that, did all that, knew it was a good thing to do, set it all up, and then we came here on Sundays and we just shoved all the chairs together and we all sat together as closely as possible, right? That, that, that wouldn't, we just acted like it was 2019 or something. We were just animals and pretended it was February, you know, how foolish that would be. Um, we, we, we know better, right? So we, we put it into practice. It's got to be practice. It does us no good to know all these things or to set things up. If we don't practice what we know, wisdom must be practiced or it's not wisdom. It's just knowledge. If it's not put into practice, it's not wise. If we don't live it out, we're not wise. You can't have wisdom that's not put into practice. Are there areas in your life right now that you know you are not doing the wise thing? Think about it. Are there areas in your life right now where you know this isn't wise? This isn't in line with what James says is wise. In fact, it's more in line with what he says is a a false wisdom. Relationships, finances, decisions. Make the choice to practice wisdom. You know what the wise thing is to do. Do it. Do it. We have to make the choice. Know this. Whether you live by false wisdom or you live by true wisdom, it's going to be known by its fruit. And the fruit's going to be in your life. And one fruit is going to be destruction. One fruit's going to be peace. How's your fruit? What's it bearing out in your life and in your relationships? There's a false wisdom that must be avoided. There's a true wisdom to be pursued and practiced. So put off self-centered living. Pursue that wisdom from above and practice wise living. And remember, wisdom, wisdom begins with Jesus. Begins with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Apostle Paul says, and because of him, because of Jesus, because of, because of God, you're in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Jesus, Jesus became to us wisdom from God. He says in Colossians 2.3, in whom are in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. Listen, when we take the Bible as a whole, Old Testament and New Testament, what we learn about wisdom is real simple. Wisdom is a God issue. It's a heart issue. and It's a God issue. And therefore, it is a Jesus issue. And if you want wisdom, you need to know God. And that's only through Jesus. That's only through Jesus. If you walk with Jesus, you'll, you'll begin to walk in wisdom. And as you grow in Christ's likeness, you will grow in wisdom. And if we're pursuing foolishness, and if we're pursuing these things that are of this false wisdom, then we're not pursuing Christ like we need to be. It's a spiritual, wisdom is a spiritual issue. It is a heart issue. It is a Jesus issue. Let me ask you today, do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Does your life bear that out? Have you turned away from your sin and embraced him as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, we encourage you as always to to turn from your sin and embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior, believing he died in your place on the cross and that he rose from the That's where wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with orienting your life around Christ. Let me ask you, will you do that today if you haven't? Right there where you're at, you can bow and you can pray. And The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll reach out, put your faith in Jesus, take hold of Christ, uh, you can be born again. You can be saved and you can begin to follow Christ. We encourage you to do that. And If you've got questions about that, email us at info at gonorthpart.com. Or if you make that decision, you want us to celebrate that with you, we'd love to help you in any way we can. Email us, info at gonorthpart.com. Believer, as we walk with Christ, we should be growing in wisdom. Well, what's characterizing your life right now? Are you pursuing the wisdom from above? Let's be sure that we're 
putting off self-centered living and that we're pursuing the wisdom from above and that we're practicing it, that we're practicing it in our daily lives because that's what's going to bring the peace that we want to see. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today uh, for wisdom that comes to us from you. We ask for wisdom. We need wisdom, Lord. We all struggle from time to time with, with doing foolish things and making foolish decisions. And in this world, um, Lord, it, it promotes a wisdom that's not of you. That's, it's a false wisdom. And Lord, we want the wisdom from above. So Lord, we, we pray for that. Pray for your help in that. We pray for those today that do not have a relationship with Christ, that today they would turn away from sin to Jesus and put their faith and put their trust in him. And we pray for us as a church family. We pray for every believer that's watching, Lord, that we would be a people who are wise, who are wise with the wisdom from above, uh, that, that, that wisdom that's characterized by, by purity and peaceableness and, and open to reason and, and mercy and good fruits, that it would characterize our lives as individuals and characterize our, our congregations, Lord, that the world would look at us and see that there's something different about our wisdom, that our wisdom is, in, in fact, coming from, from you. And it manifests itself in that good fruit in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.